0: Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives, changing lives. Praise God. Good to see you, church. What a great day we've had so far. God's been doing something special. He has something great in store for us today. My name is Pastor Chris. If you're new here today, again, we just want to welcome you. We're so glad you're with us this morning. And uh, man, you picked a great day to come and be a part of uh, our services here. I pray you feel at home and welcomed Hey, before we get into the message, I wanted to just remind you, Paul talked about Easter. Easter's 28 days away. Can you believe it? Easter's right around the corner, and I'm excited to celebrate the resurrection. But before Easter Sunday, there was Good Friday, and there's a reason why it's Good Friday. It wasn't good for the one who went through the cross and bore our shame, but it was good for us. It was good that he made a way. He paid the price for us, Jesus, and we are going to be having a very special Good Friday service. In fact, it's going to be an experience that you'll never forget. It's going to be a Passover Seder presentation where we're going to come and see Jesus in the Passover. Do you know that all the way back in the book of Exodus, we saw the red thread of Jesus is woven there. He's in the Passover. He was the lamb that was slain at the foundations of the world for you and for me. He paid the price, and so we're going to see together Jesus in the Passover, in that Seder that the Jewish people still commemorate today on Good Friday. Um, we're going to be celebrating that and remembering that, and also we're going to see the significance of Jesus in the communion that we take every single month. So we're going to have communion together. If you'd like to be a part of this, we want to um, make as much room available as possible, but so that we can make sure we can uh, be prepared to serve everyone that comes. We're asking that you pick up free tickets online. Uh, You can pick up one of these on your way out today. This is an invite card, um, and it gives you all the information you need about picking up your tickets. You can go to evangelchurch.com forward slash Good Friday. You can get as many tickets as you'll need for you and your family, but would you do this? Would you? invite somebody that needs to hear the good news, that needs to know? Would you invite someone that maybe is even from the Jewish faith that could see Jesus as the Messiah, the one that the Jewish people have been longing and waiting for? This is going to be an incredible experience you won't forget. So we want you to come out and be a part of that. Again, you can get your tickets online. Um, They're just going to be emailed to you confirming that you have them. Whatever number you put in, when you show up at the service, you just let us know and we'll mark off your name. So it's not that we're printing out tickets or all that. You could take one of these as just something to remember that you have yours or take a few if you're inviting someone. Um, We have some kiosks set up out in the foyer if you need help uh, doing that. You can do it after service. But guess what? You could pull out your phone. Please don't do it once the service starts here and we get into God's Word. Uh, You can do it after service, please. You won't want to miss what we're going to explore in God's Word. But uh, pick up these and let's pack this house Out on Good Friday, Amen. I'm believing every seat to be filled as we experience the passion and the death of our Savior in a way that will be unforgettable. All right, I'm ready. Are you ready, Church? I'm ready to get into God's Word. This message has been burning in my heart. I normally have this handheld mic, and I don't know what I'm doing now. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, maybe going to hold it just to have it. But I'm ready. I'm ready to get into God's Word. You know, I just I thought about this between services. And um, and I hope no one talked to you before you came in here today, because you have no idea what you're in store for. Uh, God has something special in store for us today. But uh, there's a family that uh, I just saw, they're from our church, and they're out in Lancaster. Do you know what it's out in Lancaster? No, yeah, there's something good out there. It's a theater. Does anyone know the name of the theater? Sight and Sound, right? And I think this is the tagline to Sight and Sound. Does anyone know the tagline? Where the Bible comes alive. You know, and I said, man, what if every Sunday when we come together, that is here in this place that the Bible comes alive, that God's word is living and active, the Bible says. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Here's the problem so often we take this and we think through just words on a page. It's the living word of God that has everything to do with how you're living your life today, has everything to do about how you can have victory today and tomorrow. It's God's word and he is alive and his word is living and active. Here's my prayer for us today that today this would be the place where the Bible comes alive. Amen? Where God's word comes alive. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of transform this place into sight and sound a little bit. Does that sound good? So I need you to take a journey with me today. Are you ready? I wish you had seatbelts because I want you to put on your seatbelts today because we're going to take a journey together. Let's get our Bibles. Let's open up. Let's get ready. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. When you were younger, you used to do something called sword drills where you're like flipping through the Bible real quick. I need you to get ready, okay? We're going to flip around. Start in Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to be in the book of Leviticus today. How many of you are enjoying this series of messages? Come on, this has been an exciting time. We're walking through God's word. We're in the first five books of the Bible. They're called the law, the Torah. They're, they're the Jewish, um, part of the Jewish Old Testament scriptures that, uh, that they're still studied today. by the Jewish faith are the first five books of our scriptures that we have from the Lord, his word to us. And we see that although these take place thousands of years, these events, before Jesus was born, that we see Jesus showing up all throughout the Old Testament. He's all throughout the Pentateuch, all throughout these first five books. And Jesus is alive. We see a red thread, just like we see all this thread throughout this logo for history. His is in red thread. It's the red thread of Jesus woven through the pages of Scripture. And now Leviticus, I heard a joke this week about Leviticus. You want to hear it? It was actually told... To one person that attends our church, to someone that's now on staff at church, uh, Bobby, our discipleship coordinator. Bobby uh, was just growing up in his faith. He was pretty excited about reading God's word, and he came to another guy, and this person attends our church right now as well, but they were attending a different church at the time. And he said to him, he said, hey, you're reading the Bible, Bobby. And he said, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. And he said, well, um, where are you at? And Bobby said, well, I've just gotten into it, and I'm kind of in the middle of the book of Leviticus. He said, let me tell you a secret about the Christian faith we're all in the middle of the book of Leviticus. (laughs) No one's gotten past the book of Leviticus. It's hard to get out of the book of Leviticus, right? I mean, come on, we're talking about uh, Abraham sacrificing his son, and it's like, oh, Lord, you're sacrificing these incredible stories. Joseph out of the pit, into the palace, get into Exodus. Come on, don't run from it, but... Reach for it, right? We're seeing God's hand, his power. We then move towards the end of Exodus. We say, wow, God's presence is falling and provision and fire from heaven, you know, leading them. And then you get into Leviticus and you're like, whoa, this is getting weird. Uh, What is going on? These animals and this. You can't have that animal, clean, unclean. Like what's going on? Here's what I want you to know. Jesus is living, active, coming through the book of Leviticus. He's there. We see him. And I want to bring us to a moment today that I believe God's going to change our lives together. And I I need you just to adjust my mic a little bit because it's like ringing um, a little bit here. With this message, I just believe God has something really special in store for us. So would you do this with me? Would you just bow your heads for just a moment? And I'm going to pray. And as I pray, would you pray, Lord, let your word come alive to me today. That's our prayer, Lord God. May your word come alive to us today. Lord God, change us, transform us, Lord God. Bring us back to this place, Lord God. Help us to see the significance. Jesus, we want to see you here in the book of Leviticus, here on this most holy and sacred day on the entire Jewish calendar, a day that is still remembered today and celebrated by countless Jewish people all around the world. Lord God, but they're missing you. You're right there. You're in the middle of this day, Lord God. You're calling out to them, and you're calling out to somebody here today, Lord. Lord, you're calling out to those who have who maybe been in the faith for 30 or 40 years but today Lord God they haven't experienced the fullness of their salvation Lord God they haven't realized the fullness of the gospel and what you've done for them Lord God Lord there are those here today Lord they're living in a hopeless place there's some today they're buried by their past there's some that are bound up in things Lord God and they need nothing more than to be free and so Lord I know today you're going to set somebody free in this place Lord God so come and have your way Holy Spirit move today may I get out of the way and may your word come forth in power in Jesus Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. And this is a day, a very special day. I said in my prayer, it's the day, the most holy day on the Jewish calendar. You see, this day comes after 10 days where the Jewish people, they're preparing for a new year. They're preparing to welcome in a new year. And as they're doing that, through the, the, um, the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, they're preparing a new year, and the first thing that they turn their attention to is not the exciting things that are coming down the road. It's not about all the great things that are in store for them. The first thing that they're confronted with is their sin. It's their mess. It's their brokenness. And this is what God wants them to do is to prepare themselves for these first 10 days to prepare themselves and to realize their need for forgiveness for their sins. And so the people would gather and it would be somber and it would get more and more somber until they came to this 10th day. This 10th day was Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. The day of atonement is what we're gonna read about, explore in and, and my prayers. It will come alive to us today from God's word. It's this day where we see that God is going to cleanse the people from their sins. That's why it's such an important day. It's a day where they realize the fullness of their sins, of their brokenness, of the fact that they have broken their relationship with God. And it's on this day that they see an extension of God's grace to grant them for the year forgiveness of their sins. And so this is what we're going to explore today. And so as I said, I want the scriptures to come alive to us today. And so here's what we're going to do. Last week I talked to you about the tabernacle when we were talking about God's presence. And so we're going to transform this place, this church. We're going to pretend this church is the tabernacle. Can you do that with me? Sure. All right, you're with me. Come on, few of you are with me. you got to follow me today. You're watching online. You're with me? Come on, uh, dive into it here. So this is going to be the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle I said last week has two rooms, one larger room, and it's called the holy place. The holy place is where the priests would come in and out regularly, and they would perform rituals, sacrifices, offerings. It's there that they were doing this day after day, and they were worshiping the Lord through that. Which This space here, we're going to say the sanctuary, this is going to be the holy place for us imagining the tabernacle, Okay. So the holy place, and you know what the Bible says in the New Testament, it says that you and I, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. Did you know that? And we are supposed to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through our praise, through our worship. So that's what's happening in here. We're worshiping God. We're coming together. We're lifting up his name. We're lifting him up. Then there's another room. Does anyone remember the name of that room? the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Now, some of you may not know this, but we didn't always have this big addition hanging over with the nice parking garage underneath. That's really nice in this rainy days, isn't it? Some of you that are like over 65 and can park there, you're like, yes, amen. Uh, Some of you are pretending to be that old, you're still sneaking in there. God sees you, be careful. Uh, That was what this whole message was about today. But it wasn't always there. That's where our offices are now. But before, some of you will know this, this is this was where our offices were. We're down here on this first floor. And so you had like where the nursery was and some of these kind of places. But you had back here, behind this wall, all the way in the farthest corner of the building, it is the pastor's study. Everyone say, ooh. Because we also, like when I first came on staff, we kind of called it, called it the holy of holies. We said it's kind of like the holy, the most holy place. Um but even as I, as I got close to Pastor Brennan, who was our former pastor, and as I spent time entering into this position, I want to tell you it is, a, it is a holy place. a place where my wife and I would sit and pray. It's a place where I'd watch Pastor Brennan kneel down and pray and even lift his jacket over his head and just want to be in God's presence before and after delivering a message to the congregation. It was, it was that place. So I think that this serves very well for us today as we imagine. The, the holy place, you still with me? We're going to say the most holy place. And wouldn't you know it? What's separating the holy place from the most holy place? A big curtain, right? This works really well for us today. So we have that curtain. The curtain is separating it. So here it is. This is it. We're in the tabernacle. Can you see it, church? Can you see it? Okay. So here we are. What we need is we have priests that can come and we're the priests. But of the priests, there's one priest and he's called what? The high priest. The high priest is the priest that's able to go into the most holy place. He can't go in whatever he wants to. He can only go in once a year. Do you know what day? The day we're talking about today, the day of atonement. He would go there, and he would go through this ritual on the day of atonement, and this would be what would allow the sins of the people of Israel to be cleansed from them. So just imagine here that there's a high priest. You know what? We're going to go one better. I'm going to pick a high priest from among you. Does that sound good? So Roy, come on. Roy is going to be our high priest this morning. Come on, Roy. That's my high priest. (laughs) So Roy's here, he's the high priest, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to to open. Are you in Genesis, or what did I say we're going to be, Leviticus? Oh, we're in Leviticus. Oh, man. Are we ever going to get out of Leviticus, the middle of, yes, we're going to get out of there today. We're going to look at verse 3, okay? So here's what it is. God's talking to Aaron, who is the high priest at this time. He's serving as the high priest. He's Moses' brother, and, and he's getting ready to take part in this day of atonement. God's instructing him about what he has to do. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for the sin offering. Did you bring a bull? Absolutely. No? Or a ram for the burnt offering? Okay, you don't have those, all right. Well, he's supposed to do that, so he would, those would be sacrificed. He would then take the blood of the bull Going to the most holy place, there'd be the mercy seat, the, the atonement cover, and, and sprinkle the blood there. He'd do it seven times for himself and then for his family, and that would cleanse him. That would cleanse the high priest. That would cleanse Aaron so that he could now be in the presence of God. So he had to do this first part of the sacrifice and this offering because the sins, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, right? And so this death would now fall on this animal to pay the price so that this high priest could worship the Lord. And it was so important that he watched the way that he entered God's presence. In fact, Aaron's sons died because they they handled God's presence in the wrong way. And we read about that earlier in the story. So God says, take this very seriously. Enter in. Make sure you're washing yourself. Make sure your heart is pure. Make sure all these things, not just outward, but inward. In fact, God goes into great detail. If you look in verse 4, he says, he has to put on the sacred linen tunic. And so we actually, we need that. Did you... These aren't your priestly garments. So come on, let me get some priestly garments here. All right, we got this. All right, so these are. this is the sacred tunic. This is your um, priestly garments that you're going to be wearing. And he goes on to say after that, put on the sacred tunic, the linen undergarments next to the body, tie a linen sash around him, and put on a linen turban. I don't have the turban, but I have the sash for you here, okay? So you're wearing the, the, the garments that would need to be worn. These are specific for this, the sacred garments. And then beforehand, he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Roy, did you shower this morning? Oh, praise, the, praise the Lord. We're, whew, we're in good shape here. So here's, here's what happens. The high priest is ready. Aaron's ready and then... Every high priest that would serve after him is ready. This, this started here, but it moved all throughout, even after they were out of the wilderness and they were in the temple, even all the way up until after the time of Jesus, this was still going on, this day of atonement. Are you following me? So this is what's happening. Now, it goes on to say, if you read a few verses down in chapter 16, verses seven through 10, it says this. It says, then he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the Ten of meeting. So just imagine here that there are two goats here. You know what, this would be easier. Do we have some goats? Can anyone anyone have a couple goats? Oh, there we are. Good. We got some goats. All right. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Come on, come on, come on, come on. No, 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 no. Come on. The Lord has use for you today. All right. So we got the goats. Are you with me still? I wake somebody up this morning. So we got the goats. All right. So let's keep reading scripture here. Ready? Take the two goats, put them before the tent of meeting. Turn turn to the tent of meeting here. I'm just going to turn right there, all right? So he's got the two goats. He's facing toward the tent of meeting. And then the Bible says, hey, what's up, buddy? Now what does it say here? Look at me, don't look at the goats. He is to cast lots for the two goats. So here's what they would do when they cast lots. They had a a white stone and they they had a black stone and they would cast the lots and the one that would fall to the right or to the left, it would make a difference and it would then show whose lot is whose. And so, you, I'm sorry, but you're the Lord's goat, the Bible says. It says the one for the Lord and the other is the scapegoat. And so this is what it says in verse 9. This isn't going to make someone happy. Close your eyes if you're children in the room because the scapegoat has to go away now. Or I'm sorry, the, the Lord's goat has to go away. Look at verse 9. It goes on. This is the Lord's goat and he needs to go. And someone want to help me, Jacob? Why don't you help here? he's going to go and he's going to be sacrificed in the most holy place as a sin offering. Now just imagine as that goat's going away, this is what's happening during this time. He's being carried away. He's going into the most holy place and he's going to be sacrificed there as a payment for the penalty of the sins of the people. But the Bible says this about the scapegoat. But the goat that's chosen by the lot is the scapegoat and he shall be presented alive before the Lord and used... For making atonement by sending him into the wilderness as the scapegoat. So we need to understand this because here's what I want to tell you today that I believe that we haven't seen the fullness of the gospel when we come here to Leviticus. And I have a message today, it's entitled This The Gospel in the Goats. Come on, somebody, The Gospel in the Goats. And we need to understand this because God does something so powerful in this moment. We need to realize just what Jesus has done for us by understanding these two goats. And I think many of us understand the idea that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid a price that you and I could never pay. And he made a way so that the veil could be torn. But what about this scapegoat? What's going on with the scapegoat? So let's look here as we continue down, Leviticus chapter 16, look at verse 20. It says, When Aaron had finished making atonement in the most holy place, the tent of meeting and at the altar, he shall bring forth the live goat, and then he will lay both hands on the head of the goat, and he will confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites. In verse 22, it goes on to say, all of their sins, and he put them on the goat's head And then he's meant to send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. Now, here's what we need to understand. In this moment, this is a moment where not just individual sins. I know, you know, you know things about you, things that have shamed your past, things that you don't want anyone else to know. Is there anyone else in the room, right? You know that. But as a community, there are things that the people of God also had sinned. There was this idea that as a people, there were sins that they had to acknowledge and confess collectively. There were sins that they had in their own families. And, in their own, and, and it's during this time that all those sins are being confessed. And the high priest who, who has sense of that and the people know, he's laying his hands on the head of the goat. He's confessing all those sins. And what he's doing, symbolizing that he's taking all the sins of Israel, all the shame, all the guilt, placing it on the head of this goat. And all that sin, all that shame, all those things that burden the people, that burden you and I, placed on the head of this goat, and then he's carried out into the wilderness. And what is God doing when he does this? He's showing something. He's painting a picture for the people. What he's showing them here, and this is what I love about Jesus, and what I love about what we read in scripture, it's kind of a different world. We don't understand it the same way. You see, when God teaches a lesson, when Jesus was teaching a lesson, He didn't go through and teach it the way that we do. And my wife was a teacher for many years, said, okay, so if you want to solve this problem, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Follow these three points. Here's the definition. Here's how it all works. But whenever people came to Jesus, it was so different. They don't use definitions and points and outlines. Jesus used pictures and metaphors and stories. And so when someone came, when one of his followers said, hey, how many times should I forgive someone? Jesus didn't say, well, let me calculate it. Let me go through the scientific formula. No, Jesus said, let me paint you a picture that's ridiculous. 70 times 7. It's like, really? And then what does Jesus do after? He tells them a story. It's because that's the way Jesus is helping them connect with the truth of who God is and, and what forgiveness is really about. And so when we get into that world, we see this is a picture of something so powerful that we need to understand it for ourselves today. This is symbolically being the shame. The sin, when it's carried out and released into the wilderness, it means that God is separating the sins of the people from them because of his amazing grace. That he's removing their sins, their shame, as far as the east is from the west. And so as the people were there and they were gathered together, this is what was happening. But if you look into the Jewish literatures, if you see that we not only have the Old Testament in the Jewish faith, they have the Mishnah, they have the Talmud, they have the Jewish writings of the rabbis that have been passed down from generation to generation. In those writings, there's something that we don't catch full significance of here in Scripture, but we can see it. It's very clear that it was taking place because of all those Jewish writings, and it is the presence of a red cord, a scarlet or crimson cord. This was taken and something special happened with this. You see, as the priest had confessed all the sins and placed them on the head, he would then take this scarlet cord, he would wrap it and tie it around the neck of the scapegoat. And what this symbolizes? because this symbolizes blood, this symbolizes judgment, this symbolizes all the wrong things that they had done. Now it shows that this is, this, goat is under judgment. It's carrying the sins and the shame away of the people. And then the high priest would go and he'd walk among the people. And I want you just to go ahead and I want you just to walk among the people. And as he would walk among the people he would be reciting a portion of God's word that we're very familiar with from Psalm 103. He says God Your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And this scapegoat had an actual name. It was Azazel. And let's look at that word here, Azazel. It actually broken down. It's a she-goat. And to go away. So it literally means the goat of departure. And as he's saying, hear, O Israel, your sins are being removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Come on over here, Aaron, my high priest. Go down this way and show them. As they're doing that, you know what the people are doing? We're going to take part in this today. They're saying this. Go away. Take it away. Let me hear you. Right as he's coming by. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. away. Go. They want their sin gone. They want their shame gone. Take it away. All right, come on back up, Aaron. Aaron and Azazel. And they would say this, and while they're saying this, and while they're confessing their sins, while they're realizing their sin, it's all being placed on the head of this scapegoat. Then he would place his hands on the scapegoat, and he would release him, the Bible says, into the care of someone else. The high priest wasn't carrying him, and I don't believe it was even a priest. In fact, in some of the Jewish writings, it says that they didn't even want to trust this into the care of another Jewish person because it, it's like a, a time bomb. It's like a, like all the sins of everyone in the camp. And at this time, I mean, there there are estimates of over 2 million people among the Jewish people. It's all that sin, all that shame. It's like, you're like, take it away. Get it out of here. And so they, some of the tradition would say that it was placed in the hand of a Gentile. And they would hand it to the Gentile and then he would be the one to care and take that goat far, far away, and then release him into the water. if that goat came back into the camp, there was a huge problem. It was like a bomb had come back into the camp. That's what it was like for them. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you don't want to see that goat again. You don't want to see the goat. You don't want to see the red scarlet uh, cord around them. You don't want to see any of it because it's about God removing the sin, the shame, the iniquity from the people. You following me today? This is what it was all about. He was removing their sin. He was removing their shame. He tied a crimson, scarlet cord around the neck. Turn with me to John chapter 16. And then turn three chapters forward to John chapter 19, because that's what I meant to say. (laughs) Just testing. John chapter 19. Jesus is on trial, and as Jesus is on trial, he's there, and there's this man, Pontius Pilate, not a Jewish man, Gentile man, Roman, he's there, and Jesus is up against Barabbas, and he's saying, who do you want to be released, because we could release one that will be among you, and one that won't be, who would you like released? They say, give us Barabbas, right? Right? And what did they say of Jesus? Come on, what did they say? Let me hear it. But do you know what they said first? Nope. Look at verse 15 Take him away. Take him away and crucify him. Get him out of here. And then what did they do? They walked out the same kind of path, out of the city gate, out of Jerusalem, out into the wilderness, on Calvary's hill. Jesus was taken there. And before he was taken there, what did they do? They took a crown of thorns and they placed it upon his head. And although that crown wasn't red, what came flowing down? What formed a ring around his head of blood? It was that crown of thorns. I mean, the imagery that's being painted there, the people that are seeing it, the Jewish people at that time, they're thinking, hold on. <laughs> Read around that, carried away, take him away. Jesus was leaving. He was going to Calvary as a scapegoat. He was going to Calvary as the one who was gonna carry away our sin and our shame and nail it to the cross. That's why Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now Jesus lives in me. I'm not who I used to be. I'm a new creation. I'm different. Why? Because Jesus has become my scapegoat. He's not just paid the price for my sin. He's carried my shame away. He's carried my old life away. He's carried my baggage away. He's changed me forever. Jesus has become the scapegoat. He's described here in John chapter 19 as the one who carries it away. But something happens as this takes place. As they would go and as they'd prepare to go, The high priest, before he put him in the care of the person, the one that would carry him into the wilderness, he would cut off a part of that scarlet or crimson cord. And then he would take the goat away and they would hand him off and he would go. But he would take this and when they were in the temple, it's written in the writings that they would take it and they would nail it to the doorway, the doorpost of the temple. So in the tabernacle, I'm sure they had some other place to place this, but this is what's carried on throughout the Jewish writings, that there is this scarlet cord and a piece of it that has been set aside. And something would happen, something miraculous would happen with this scarlet cord is that as they carried him away and they would look once he's out in the wilderness, eventually when someone would look over, the scarlet cord would turn white. This isn't, this isn't superstition. This, isn't a, this is written in their writing. This is what the rabbis had seen, experienced enough that they, they didn't know. People at the time didn't know, okay, is it sleight of hand? Are they working with dyes? or they doing something? But everyone says, yeah, it turns white. It just turns white. And what people then became to believe through that is they said, that means God has forgiven our sins for the year. And so there'd be a celebration. They say, you know, they, they look in Isaiah and they'd see what it says in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Your sins are like scarlet, but they're gonna be white as snow. They're as red as crimson, but they will be like wool. He says, this is what they're, they're looking for. And so some years they would look and it wouldn't turn white. And they would think, whoa, what does that mean Then another year it would turn white and they'd feel relieved? But it left them in this kind of tension looking for this, looking for this symbol. Is everything okay or is it not? And this would go on for some time. And as the goat would go, as he would carry the sins of the people away, they would look for this. Pastor Rick can come on up to the platform now. But as we look in scripture, something took place when Jesus came. Jesus came and he became not just the scapegoat, but the Bible says he's also the high priest. He's the great high priest over the house of God. You see, everything I said, it's a picture, but it's also a shadow. A shadow, it shows an image, but it isn't the fullness of that image, right? It's a shadow. And the law, all of this, even the day of atonement, the Bible says it like this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse one. It says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. That's what a shadow is, it's a picture of the good things that are coming, but it's not that actual reality. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. Stop right there. It says endlessly year after year. How many of you are feeling tired for our high priest today? He's just standing here, right? What's amazing we we learn about is that there are no chairs, there are no seats, In the tabernacle, you go into the temple, there's one seat, it's the mercy seat. And guess what? If he sits on the mercy seat, he's in big trouble. He's probably not coming back. And, And the priests, they were always standing. You know why? Because their work was never done every day, in and out, every day trying to appease God, then every year it's like a boomerang, they send out the scapegoat in the wilderness They're forgiven. but guess what, the next year comes and all that sin is brought right back to them and they're reminded of it again and they're confessing it again so that they can just have one more year of freedom from it and over time don't you just get tired, don't you just get tired when your past keeps showing back up on your doorstep and reminding you of just how broken, just how much in bondage, just how hopeless things might seem in a place and it's like that boomerang some of you know you've been living in that cycle, haven't you? That, man, it's good, but then guess what? Your past comes knocking again. You relive that shame. You relive that guilt. You feel all that. You know what that is? It's a totally enemy to remind you of your sin, to remind you of your brokenness, to remind you who you were before Christ. But guess what? That's not who you are today. And so Jesus went to the cross and because of that we now see the fullness of the promise in god's word in hebrews chapter 10 it says this can this is being repeated endlessly year after year it can't make them perfect otherwise they would have stopped offering it because the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and no longer felt guilty for their sins you see because this had to keep going on it showed it wasn't a perfect sacrifice and what they would long for what if I could just have one for all, once for all? Some of you, you're, you're, you're taking medication that you'll have to be on for the rest of your life. You're like, if I, if you have a pill big enough that I could just take it once and that's it, I'll take it, right? Some of you know exactly what that's like. Or what if there's just a moment that I would just be so free of that thing? What would it feel like just to be free completely of it? Once for all, the people long for once for all. They don't want to keep going through this every single year. They don't want to keep living in suspense and looking over at this thing. See, what's going to happen? Is God pleased? Is He forgiven us? Is He not? What's going on? They're wondering. The Bible goes on to say here in Hebrews, but those sacrifices, they were an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The problem's too big, they can't do it. But it goes on. If you look down here in Hebrews chapter 10 and you you go to verse 11, you begin to see this day after day. It talks about the priests and what they would do. They'd come into this, the holy place. They perform their religious duties and again and again, they'd offer the same sacrifices which can never take away the sin problem. But here's what it says in verse 12. This is the good news. Somebody say good news. This is the gospel. Come on, this is the gospel and the goats right here. Here it is, you ready? But when this priest had offered, who is that priest? Jesus, when he had offered for all time, somebody say for all time, one sacrifice for sins. He wasn't standing anymore. The Bible says he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you know why he sat down? Because it is finished. Those were his final words on the cross. you know why? Because whenever the priest would look and he would see if it turned white, he'd say, it is finished, it is done. Jesus said it, the Bible says, once for all, it is finished, it is done. And he sat down because his work was finished. He was done, he sat down at the right hand of God. And it goes on to say this, and since that time, he's waiting for his enemies to be made his foot, so That means that at one day, everyone and everything will be under his feet. He'll be above it all, over it all, in it all on his throne. He's waiting for that day. In verse 14 then says it like this, for by one sacrifice, somebody say one sacrifice. He has made perfect forever. Somebody say forever. Cause you need to remember it today. He has made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. You don't have to go through that same cycle that the Israelites went through. You don't have to keep going and be reminded of your past again and again and again. Here's what I want you to know today. Somebody, somebody in this room, you're gonna need to look at the enemy. You're gonna need to look at your past. You're gonna say this to them, the goat is gone. The goat is gone, he's not coming back. The goat is gone and he's not coming back. He's carried away my sin, I'm a new creation. Somebody needs to hear that today. I'm a new creation, I'm not the same anymore. This is what happened. Jesus, by his sacrifice on the cross, paid a price that you and I could never pay. But something happened. Something mysterious took place right around that time. If you go into the Jewish writings, you go into the Talmud, there's a Babylonian one, and there's an excerpt there, and then there's the Jerusalem one. These are the teachings and the writings of the rabbis handed down from generation to generation. You can go into both of these. I've looked at them, I've read more of these documents than I've ever read before, studied it more in the last week than I'd ever studied to see this. But in two places, two different excerpts, two different places, it's carried a strong tradition of what happened. Because it's something took place 40 years before the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. So something took place, something changed, something shifted. There were four things that were thrown off. Two of them are, are, are important to what we've been talking about. Two things changed and they just weren't the same anymore for 40 years and they, they couldn't figure it out. There's some rabbis who've tried to explain it away but they can't quite grasp what took place. And I want you to see these. This is from the Jerusalem Talmud. I want you to, I put it right up here on the screen for you to read. It says, 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the Western light went out, the crimson thread remained crimson, and the lot for the Lord always came up on the left hand. I want you to catch those last two things. What did I say they were looking for? This to turn, what color? They said 40 years before the destruction of the temple and for every year for 40 years, it never turned white again until the temple was destroyed and they weren't doing it anymore. 40 years went on, 40 years go on and they're playing, casting lots every time, left hand, left hand, left hand. For it to happen 40 times in a row, they said the chance of that, on something of chance, one point, uh, won in 5.5 billion that that would happen that many times in a row. They cast a the lot, and they keep landing the same place, the same place, the same place every single time. They said, something is wrong. They couldn't figure it out. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. 40 years before that, 30 AD, right at the time where a man named Jesus is being nailed to a cross. Right at the time, where Jesus is dying for the sins of humanity. They can't quite figure it out. They're looking, just as Paul says in, in, in the New Testament, their eyes have become veiled. Why isn't it turning white anymore? You know why? Because there's a once-for-all sacrifice that's happened. You don't have to keep coming back here anymore. A scapegoat is gone. You can bring more back, but it doesn't matter because he's already gone. He's already left. He's already gone up onto the hill for you. He's carried your sins away. Don't look to this one. Don't look to this one. You have a great high priest, the Bible says. He's made a way every year they saw this and every year they wondered until the temple was destroyed they couldn't see it's been Jesus the whole time that paid the price for them the goat is gone somebody you need to rejoice in that today that the goat is gone because you've been living in the shame of your past and you don't realize it you're a new creation embrace the fullness of the gospel not only has Jesus made it possible for you to enter heaven one day but you don't need to do that with your head down you don't need to do that burden. you don't need to do that walking in shame and in fear and insecurity that today you can realize the goat is gone he's carried your shame he's separated it from you as far as the east is from the west the Bible says he's carried it on his head he's carried it on his shoulders And today, God's gonna set somebody free. I wanna bring down these lights right now and I want us just to take a moment because we're gonna end this service in a way we've never ended it before. I can tell you that with great certainty. We're gonna do two things today. And the first thing that's gonna happen is we're gonna walk out this very thing that took place as a symbol of what Jesus has done for us, our high priest is gonna walk the scapegoat out those center doors. And here's what I want you to know, that as that happens, it's the realization in our lives that the goat is gone, that Jesus has carried it, and he has separated our sins from us. And I'm believing that in those moments as you're just praying and you're remembering this, and you're spending time in God's presence, that somebody's gonna be set free. Someone's gonna say, you know what, as that scapegoat goes, my shame is being lifted because I'm realizing maybe for the first time that Jesus has fully taken all my shame, all my past, all my guilt. When he says I'm a new creation, I'm a new creation. It's happened, but some of us, we haven't fully embraced it yet. We haven't stepped into that. I'm believing God's gonna set somebody free today. And for some of you today, because this happened, because he went, you can finally stand for the first time in a long time. You can stand and experience a freedom you've never experienced before. But I wanted to tell you, this is gonna be a a quiet moment. It's gonna be a somber moment in God's presence. But as as he goes, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do something different than the first service. I want that as he goes, in the quietness of this moment, no, no noise being made, no, no celebration, no screaming, no nothing. But in the quietness of that moment, as he's going out, if today you just know, man, God, I just, I want to experience that freedom. I want to be free from my fear. I want to be free from my shame. I want to be free from, free from whatever that might be. I want to, I want to experience the fullness, sort of what you have for me in that way that as he goes out, I want you just quietly just to begin to stand to your feet and just take a posture of prayer before the Lord and just experience the freedom because I know God's gonna bring freedom to somebody today. Perhaps you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we go through that process, he leaves. I want you just to stand to your feet right where you're at. Just stand to your feet and say, God, I want you in my life. Lord, I confess my sins to you, Lord. And as he leaves, somebody's just gonna be awakened to that fact that the goat is gone. Your past is gone. You're a new creation in Christ. So you're just going to quietly, if that's you, you just sense a prompting of God in your heart. You're just going to stand to your feet in the quietness of that moment. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing because every one of us, we're focusing on the Lord right now. And You're just going to stand to your feet and just say, God, give me that freedom. The quietness of your heart, just begin to do that. We're going to be completely silent in this place. The goat will be gone. The high priest will be back. One second. And when he comes back, he's going to walk here to the front and he's going to sit down and in that moment, when he's seated, that's Jesus, it is finished. And at that moment, when it is finished, here's, we're, gonna, we're gonna go from a place of, very, of quietness to a place of incredible celebration in this house and we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus has won the victory for us, that Jesus is seated, that sin has been defeated, that your life is not your own it now belongs to him, that you've been crucified with Christ. I want you, with all the zeal, with all the passion in your heart, to praise God, to thank God, to worship him, to just thank whatever that means for you, on your knees, lifting your hands, whatever it is in this moment, we're going to begin to praise God with our lips, whatever that would sound like from you. So listen, this isn't a spectator sport. Some of you are going to be very dignified. Praise the Lord. No, come on. I've seen you in sports today. I see you getting more excited at something on television come on this is the presence of God we're going to celebrate when he sits at that moment it is finished we're going to erupt with praise in this house okay are you with me two parts we're going to be quiet and if that's you and you know as he's going I just need to experience that grace that freedom that forgiveness I want that shame lifted from me today I'm ready to embrace that you can just stand to your feet in the quietness of this moment and then when he's seated we're going to celebrate let's do that now amen you to stand to your feet right now. That's you right now to stand to your feet. The quietness of this moment. Begin to lift your hands towards heaven, Lord Jesus. I need your grace in my life. Lord, I need your forgiveness in my life. Lord, lift shame, lift fear, lift guilt. Lift these things now in your presence, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your amazing grace in my life. Thank you, Lord, that You made a way where there was no way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in just a moment, He's going to be seated, and when He sits, it is finished. When He sits, our shame is gone. We can celebrate. We can rejoice. We can worship God freely. We can enter into the full realization. That not because of what we just did, but because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, we have been set free. We can embrace the fullness of our salvation, the good news of what he's done. The joy of our salvation will come and become a reality in our lives today because of what he's done. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Are you ready? It is finished. Come on, church. Up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank Because you know something today? There's reason to praise God. When you come to church, This doesn't have to be a somber, solemn assembly. There's reason to praise him. There's reason. And here's here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 61. You ready? I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices. Come on, somebody rejoice in my God. You ready? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and he's arrayed me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns the head of a priest and a bride adorns herself with jewels he's clothed us today with righteousness he's taken away our sin he's given us a new life in christ and today i just pray that you'll experience the fullness of that you'll walk in the fullness of that nothing will separate you from that don't let the enemy come in like a flood don't let him come in raise up the standard that god has and remind him the goat is gone. Come on. When the enemy tries to remind you you're bad. the goat is gone. When he tries to throw back at you, the goat is gone. It's gone. Jesus has won the victory. Come on. We're going to just end this time right now with this is this time of worship unto God. We're going to sing that song. Do it again. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. We're going to praise God in this place. You're free to go whenever you'd like to. There's no formal dismissal. God bless you. Come on. Let's praise God together. Let's celebrate what God has done. This great victory. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.